So, Ed. Paul. The year, the year is 1996. The venue is the staggeringly beautiful Villa Park. And I mean that just really on FA Cup semi-final day. The opening establishing shot of the coverage that we saw was just that overhead of Villa Park. Oh, Villa Park semi, that font. This is just like, this is really very deep, intense nostalgia. Um, this game. When do you think graphics? One thing I thought about watching this coverage. This is BBC coverage with Motti and Brooking from March thirty first, nineteen ninety six. When do you think the graphics took a step up? Because all the way from the nineteen sixties to apparently nineteen ninety six, they looked exactly the same. Very basic. No, 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 no. These ninety six graphics are very nineties. There is a drop shadow on that italicized font. That is someone's like, oh, what is this? Adobe Photoshop. <laughs> let me let me put a let me put a drop shadow in here. Um, yeah, they, they, they've they've come a little bit of a long way already by this point, I'd say, um, compared to where they were. This is um, an FA Cup, the FA Cup semi final. Very much emphasis on the semi because the final was a terrible game um, in the ninety five ninety six season, which I have said a number of times on this show is I think the greatest Premier League season of all time. Um, and the FA Cup wasn't too bad either, uh, given that we beat Liverpool in the final with a last-minute Eric Cantona winner. Right. Um, I mean, there's so much about this whole campaign. I mean, I think we've done bonus content just on this campaign, haven't we? So this yeah, is where have. United overtake Newcastle to win the league by four points. This is the win-nothing-with-kids season where Beckham, the Nevilles and Butt were... Integrated into the team. Giggs obviously had been part of the team for some time. Uh, the summer where Konchalskis ints, in, ints to Inter, Konchalskis to Everton and uh, Hughes to Chelsea, who features in this game, all left. Um, and United still ended up winning the double. So, yes, many things to be... Many awesome things happened in this campaign. And this was a very entertaining game. Yeah, this is sort of one of my favourite Chelsea sides as well, or just the sort of nascent, the arrival of Rude Hullet suddenly turned them into something that was very different from their uh, previous image. A team I'd always kind of somewhat had a, an inherent distaste for due to their association with right-wing politics right. and things like that. Well, this is but this sort is of when... the beginning of the sort of second rebirth of Chelsea, isn't it? So they'd, they'd, spent, they'd had a sort of big heyday in the 70s and then they had a you know, very fallow period for like two decades of nothing really and then Ken Bates takes them over spends some money on putting together a team turns out it spends far too much money given that they were hours away from bankruptcy before Abramovich takes them over but yeah just the beginning of that period I guess Viali, Di Matteo, Zola turn up later than this? Yeah absolutely this is just this is just before the the real kind of um big influx of players from abroad into the league. This is when basically every team is looking for their Eric Cantona. And Rude Hullet is not a bad uh, attempt at signing your Cantona, is it? He was, he was pretty good in this this game. Uh, and, and obviously this is past his peak, but at his peak, he's also like one of, one of the greats of the game, isn't he? He's That's right. Player. Yeah, I mean, he's such a you know beautifully graceful player, isn't he? It doesn't matter where he's playing. I mean, he was brought in by Hoddle to play sweeper, but plays... 
basically at number 10 in this game, just off the, the strikers. Um, the, I mean, the interesting thing at one point during this game, Motti says, oh, and quite a lot of overseas players in this game. And I was like, well, I guess if you're counting Roy Keane. <laughs> Michael <laughs> yeah, and Cantona, away from the British Isles, and I know there's, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> some interesting um, debate could be had, had around that. But there's Cantona and Schmeichel and Hullet. <laughs> it's quite a lot of overseas players, three. Um, now they'd be like, there's quite a lot of uh, UK and Ireland-born players here, three. Um, the... Uh, before the game starts, Motson is like <gasps> stunned, stunned because Steve Bruce, United fans watching, will be shocked that Steve Bruce isn't in the starting lineup, which leaves us with because Pallister's out, which leaves us with Phil Neville at right back, Gary Neville at centre back. We know from the NQAT game club and also our lives that that was not what you wanted. Um, David May, and then this classic Fergie. He's like, oh, right, I've got this really good left winger, this kid. Oh, there's another really good left winger who's also a kid in the side. Maybe I'll play them both in the team <laughs> and make one of them the left back. Yeah, Lee so Sharp, sh- the original Antonio Valencia. Yeah, um, actually, I mean, you know, when Sharp joined from Torquay, he was a left back, and he was converted by Fergie into a, a winger, and then reconverted for one night only. Hey, did they did it a few times? I remember this happening a few times, but it might be my memory. Uh, and then you have this midfield, which sounds. Like, it trips off the tongue, um, but actually, like, well, so it's Beckham, Keane, Butt and Giggs, which feels like a completely normal Man United midfield, but the fact that Beckham's wearing number 24 or whatever it is on his back tells you this is not the established Beckham, Keane, Butt no, Skulls, no. Giggs. This is, like, very, very, very early in their United career for the kids that's right and in fact Beckham had been in and out of the side this season not not always first choice by any means and they repeatedly say he was one that wasn't in the team when Steve Bruce was uh you know if Steve Bruce was going to yeah, play I've seen the mental gymnastics play. on that one what would I mean back three sharp on the wing and gigs on the right wing yeah maybe yeah um, and Phil Neville, Phil Neville at left back, left back. Yeah. Gary Neville at right back. Yeah, yeah that, there you go. And then up front, you've got Eric Cantona and Andy Cole. Andy Cole again early in his United career, um, and kind of like the 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 centre of a lot of fairly negative attention. He hadn't scored in five by this um, by this game, but he has an excellent game. As do United in general. I have to say, Chelsea have sort of a period of ten minutes after they score where they very bright and then they have a sort of period of pressure at the end when United are 2-1 up but for the most part uh, it's it's United's game this really I mean right from the start I mean United is complete dominance for the first 15 minutes I think the first chance that Chelsea have is Steve Clark's attempt at a lob but before that Beckham had hit the post from Giggs's cross um, Giggs had a chance from Cole's cross I mean, they, United were just completely dominant for the first few minutes. And then Clark has that lobbed attempt. Dubry hits the bar with a left-footed curler from 20. I was like, centre-back Michael Dubry. <laughs> yeah, apparently he was a flying fullback at this period in his career. Um, let's talk about some of those early chances. Before the chances come, there's a ball that goes out to Cantona on the right wing and he controls it. Um, he doesn't end up getting it in full control of fullback 
comes and takes the ball off him. But his attempt at control is just outside of the right boot twice to try and cushion the ball. It's like, oh, oh, just inject the Eric Cantona. Into- no, that's, this is not the weekend to talk about injecting things. You shouldn't inject into your veins, is it? But anyway, um, Eric Cantona, first touches might be a cure for everything that ails humanity. <laughs> um, the uh, the seconds later where Bex hits the post is, is across from Ryan Giggs. It's just a lovely passage of play and Beckham's side foot shot properly rifles off the post. It's it's real inches wide stuff. Very, very nice. Trevor Brooking with an absolutely classic Trevor Brooking. An example for any youngsters watching, which I don't think football commentators say that anymore. But basically for 30 years, that was all they ever said. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Just trying to the, the youngster football- David Beckham. Providing yeah. an example for youngsters everywhere on how to hit the football, post. Hmm. Football on telly was like seen as an educational opportunity, really, essentially, at that point. It wasn't entertainment. It was a way of uh, teaching young footballers what to do and not to do. There's, um, there's some lovely moments in this. I mean, it's for like half an hour, isn't it? United completely on top. And there's a, there's a fantastic um, tackle by Keane on Rude Hullet at one point. I mean, talk about it sort of... A lovely move, uh, Rude Hillett, and got this great range of passing and just seems at ease all the time. But um, his first meeting with Roy Keane is a sight to behold. Keane absolutely thumps him cleanly, cleanly. Um, there's, a, there's a driven cross by uh, uh, Ryan Giggs and, and, a, and uh, Andy Cole doing sort of gymnastics, trying to header it. The best bit about that move, though, is the... Um headed through ball from Eric Cantona to Ryan Giggs because it, it's just the weight on the header. I thought he'd put loads too much on it and then he's almost like um, got backspin on his header and Giggs' cross is excellent. And yeah, uh, Andy Cole turns himself into an S like a opening batsman trying to avoid a bouncer to use a Clive Tilsley style analogy. <laughs> um, but he just, he just he's ahead of the ball and he tries to diving header it sort of with his neck craned backwards didn't work but it it looked great it, it did yeah and i mean they do reference as you mentioned cole being out of form and and i do remember the pressure that cole was under i mean during the previous january so he's been at the club what 14 months at this stage hadn't scored tons of goals this is i guess a what two years before york would join and sort of light a fire under Cole's sort of Manchester United career so he's, he's definitely under pressure although not necessarily under pressure to be in the team because what's the competition there's Cantona and Cole and United don't have an awful lot of striking options at this stage um it's it's sometime I mean I guess 96 uh, Ollie Ollie arrives the next summer doesn't he after the double season yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um the and and I wonder well we kind of know that Ferguson didn't sign Solskjaer to put to give competition to Cole, he was actually very surprised that Solskjaer did turn out to be legitimate competition for Cole, which he he definitely did. I should say a word about those two Chelsea chances you mentioned. The, there's a beautiful layoff from Rude Hullet to Clark in the build-up to the one with the crazy lob. And they do keep trying to lob Michael because <coughs> he is always miles out of his goal. Um, the the Dubry chance... It's an absolutely sumptuous attempt with his left foot. Like it, it's millimeters over. It hits the crossbar sort of about about 
30 centimetres in from the from Schmeichel's right post. It's a fantastic attempt, but but those are those are very sort of they were definitely aberrations in the pattern of play. It, it's amazing. Uh, it, it does the, the amount of times they do try and lob Schmeichel in this game, and uh, it sort of re- reminds us that this is the season before Euro '96 where Davos Schuka really does lob him with the most magnificent of lobs. Uh, but not too many people have beaten six foot four inch Peter Schmeichel with a lob over his career. I imagine. Um, Suker and then uh, uh, Philippe Albert, wasn't it, from Newcastle, lobbed him once. Certainly it. did. Um, the There is my favourite passage of play, maybe in the whole game, actually. Cole finds Cantona with a beautiful outside of the boot curled pass. And this is the thing that, that revisiting has definitely made me think about Andy Cole. So I think about him as a poacher, but he was not a poacher at all. He was very, very fine all-round striker, and he could play the deeper role if he found himself there. We talked about that in the Barcelona game with him and York, but he finds Cantona with a beautiful pass. And um, Cantona, he waits for the ball to come to him, and then he heads across with this kind of very sudden, almost bird-like movement of like, suddenly applies like an immense amount of pressure to the ball and uh, Giggs can't quite get his shot on target because he, he tries to take it with his left um, and he kind of just slightly shoots across the ball. But it's a fantastic bit of interplay between uh, uh, Cole and Cantona. I'd, I'd have called that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, the, yeah. the Cantona pass inside with his head is just uh, lovely. Yeah. And then and then we get the Hullet goal after 35 minutes and and who makes the goal? But uh, Mark Hughes, I, I mean, there's one attempt later in the game where he uh, he has a good chance at a volley and just like bursts the net, but uh, he doesn't doesn't connect with it. But he connects with this cross, great left-footed cross. And it just feels very rude hullet, that header. He hangs well, doesn't he? And then bullets it in, sort of a little bit reminiscent of his 1988 European Championship goal. Little bit. Little, little nearer, little less, little less uh, competition from Gary Neville because uh, it's one v one Neville versus Hullet. It's not in the air. It's not a good look for our gas. Um, Hughes really bullies the United defence. In fact, it's Beckham that he just kind of shoves off the ball. Um, probably a foul, but Motson and Brooking are both a bit sort of. Motson seems to sort of be a bit. Is that a foul? Might be a foul. Reluctant to say that it is. Brooklyn's like, oh, it's just a muscular challenge. <laughs> Football's changed a lot. Um, it is a muscular, a very, very muscular challenge. Um, but Hughes just sort of burst through, as he'd done for United so many times. Uh, and it's a fine cross for Hullet and somewhat against the run of play. Oh, very There's much. Lovely... I mean, Chelsea, they, they have a few, like there's Dubry one that hits the bar and a couple other chances. But really, United are in complete control of this game. I mean... It may be the kids, but this is a good side, this is, the 96 side. Yeah, absolutely. And and how good the kids are already by this point is really telling. Motson says a little bit before the goal, he says, just here, he's talking about like Beckham, but, and he says, oh, just hearing yourself say these names makes you realise how well these young players have done this mm. season. Well, Scott's it's not so playing not- in this game, but he scores 14 in 18 starts across this season coming on as a substitute about as often as he starts a game. So he's not really integrated into the team at this stage. But, but you know, has a, he's a second top scorer. 
Cantonal being the top scorer, Andy Cole gets 13 in 44 games, which you know, which might point towards his uh, sort of you know, relative struggles. But yeah, well, I mean, all the kids get a decent amount of football. Even Philip Neville plays uh, what 34 games across the season. Yeah, and and it's it is the beginning of this team, and they are already good enough with the with the senior players that they've got around them to literally win the double, which. You know, given that European football still felt like a bit of a dream at that point, the double was a, a huge achievement. Well, United um, went out this season, uh, if you remember, in the uh, UEFA Cup first round to Rota Volograd. Yeah, this is Schmeichel. He's got as can the big can the big goalies coming forward. Can he get another in Europe? He's got one in Europe already. That's <laughs> the one he got against Rota Volograd, isn't it? Um. Hullet has a long-range shot a few moments after his goal. He's really feeling his oats and it's a, a beautiful shot, goes just wide. But it's not as beautiful as the next oh. shot that doesn't quite score a goal. <laughs> Eric Cantona with, uh, I mean, just, you know, when old people like us talk about how much we love Eric Cantona and how good he is, this volley was so Cantona it hurt. It's sort of like, um, it's a, a proper in-step volley and from 25 yards out, I reckon, on the diagonal, nearly breaks the bottom of the post off. It's too far Phenomenal. away from him to volley as well. He really yeah. should be getting yeah. this under control and passing it. But no, he's not having any of that. So he's he's stretching, but manages to control it. It's just, yeah, yeah it would have been a beautiful goal, but it wasn't to be. And um, for some reason, then uh, Myers fouls David Beckham. They play on. And then Beckham gets the ball back again and Myers absolutely clatters into him for the first yellow card of the game. It was definitely, that definitely felt like something had gone on because he had like two bites at him very, very quick in very, very quick succession. But it was kind of notable that even after the second one, which was vicious, Beckham just bounced straight back up again. There, there was still, there was still a kind of impetus then to, to not show really. And obviously that is completely gone now now you know you want to look like you're in as much pain as possible to influence the referee and all those kinds of things yeah it's all those foreigners flooding into the game that brought that isn't it i do remember when that was a debate oh do, do these foreigners have a bad influence on our game it's it's only the 90s when that debate was around but it feels like a lifetime away in, in a way and it's kind of hard to hard to reconcile the fact that before that a overseas player in your side was kind of unusual. Yeah, so very much how, so. How quickly the game has gone globalised, but now it just uh, feels very normal. Yeah. Because um, this is the like, season when uh, United had a second Frenchman in the squad. Do you remember who it was? William Prunier. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I remember that is because I just did this quiz on the BBC, which I didn't do very well in, actually. Whereas, like, You have to name every player that played in a Fergie or was in the squad for a Fergie league winning side and there's like 125 or 135 or something and I got 88 annoyed myself but I did get William Prunier because they had the the uh you know they give you little clues and they had the year that they played and their nationality and I was like 95 96 France oh yeah I know who that is Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Um. So then, half time, and yeah, and United are behind, we, um, which is which is. Should we should we take a little break? Um, have a little break, and then come back and do the second half after the break. 
All right, we'll be back after these messages. We hope you're enjoying the No Question About That podcast. We are open for sponsorship, so if uh, you run the kind of business that would be interested in sponsoring our show, just drop us an email at nqatpod at gmail.com. Roll Sky. Well, it was on the BBC, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, but we're putting ads in. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, you're probably not just about to hear an advert. You're probably just going to hear us say, hey, sign up for our socials. Oh, what the hell? Sign up for our socials. Yes, the bottom has fallen out of the ad market. Otherwise, we'd be making bazillions honest. Anyway, so All right, second we're half, back. second half, and uh, and it's an interesting kind of opening to the second half, isn't it? Because United are just like from from the kickoff, basically, are just completely and relentlessly on top. I mean, they're one 0 down. And it's against a runner play because they'd been well on top in that first half. And Ferguson's obviously said, put them under pressure, lads, they're going to crumble. And what happens? <laughs> put them under put pressure, them under- lads, and they crumble. <laughs> Absolutely. Just a totally, a totally dominant performance. And really, um, the gap in quality between the two sides really becomes apparent, I think, in the, in the second half. And it's, an, it's interesting looking at this era of Chelsea in particular because... Because you see Hullet and you think, like you said, Viali, Di Matteo, maybe Zola even, like you're thinking about that team. But that was to come, really. This was really the first flushes of this. And they've got we, our old friend Terry Phelan, who we saw in the uh, Big Red, Terry Phelan, who played for the Blues. Um, he, he, he plays for them and pulls up with a very sudden, very obvious injury. Is not substituted off... Uh, to the great advantage of David Beckham later in the, I mean, in the piece. Bizarre. I mean, obviously, Glenn Hoddle wanted to get his healing hands on him at half-time or whenever it was. But, yeah, it's really odd. I mean, he's clearly got a muscle injury. And they're like, no, nah, yeah. I'll run it off, son. <laughs> It'll be fine. I mean, he literally pulls up. I mean, his hamstring must have popped. That's the only thing that makes people do what he did. But anyway, um, so uh, before all that, there's a beautiful layer from... David Beckham to Phil Neville, who's on the overlap. And uh, fully just megs the fullback. Our boy Pinev out here megging fullbacks all of a sudden. I, I do not, I do not remember this happening. Um, no, I mean, it's a great little move and, and a really fine cross. And he doesn't try and do a, a Pinev step over once either. The, um, I, you know, I was saying uh, at the end of last week's show that I can't remember whether I watched this game. This was in 1996, so my memories of 1996 are what can only be described as hazy. Um, Purple hazy, you may say. Yeah, very much so. Um, But this, there were like a few moments in this game. When Cole did the thing where he contorted himself to try and take the diving header, I was like, I've definitely watched this game. I definitely remember seeing that. And this was another moment that I suddenly remembered. Um, Cantona heads the looped header back. So... Say it's a lovely cross from Neville. He's benefited by it gets a little touch off the defender and kind of gets a bit loopier than it would have done. Cantona then loops the header back towards the far corner and Cole makes sure it definitely goes in, which he de- he kind of needed to do because there was a defender there and might even have crept wide from the Cantona header. Yeah, that's right. He he needs to steal that one. Does run off on his own though. I mean, the first thing he should be doing is running to Eric. The first thing he should be doing is running to Phil Neville and be like, Phil, you just not made someone. I just word of warning: you are not going to do this very often for the next fifteen years. 
Um, also, sorry about how you lost the England manager's job. That's a whole other story. I'm Andy Collin from the future for some reason. <laughs> yeah, in the future, Phil, you're going to be vilified for hacking down a, was it a Romanian defender at yeah. Euro something something. 2000. Yeah, Euro 2000. Okay. And then you're going to become the England women's team manager. Through entirely through cronyism, but uh, that's another story altogether. Um, and then was it what two minutes later, United ahead, uh, and I mean deserving it, but it's a it's a horrible mistake by Craig Burley. Now I know why he's such a git on uh, the TV coverage. Uh, he's, he's still living the pain of this semi final, isn't he? He's never got over the moment where he did that thing that that players sometimes do, where they they kind of jump on one foot like the at the end of the Karate Kid like the kick at the end of the Karate Kid, to try and get loads of leverage and knock a clearance out. Was he trying to pass it back to the keeper? Was he trying to knock it out for a throw-in or a corner? Who knows what he was trying to do. But what he does is put in the most sumptuous through ball to a young David Beckham, whose finish, I have to say, is absolutely outstanding. Oh, yeah, good. Across the keeper, doesn't need to hit it too hard, steers it into the far corner, um... I mean, he's never the quickest, is he, Bex, but he's got enough, given that Burley gave him at least a 20-yard head start. And he's been chased by a man with one leg because Phelan is the chasing defender. Yeah, so just the two goals that that lack of substitution costed Chelsea there. <laughs> so, solid work, Glenn, solid, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm sure he went on to have a great managerial career, didn't he, Hoddle? Yeah. Oh, yeah, mm. absolutely. Feels slightly disinclined to slag him off having watched him play the other week and just remembered what an absolute genius he was as a footballer. Beautiful but player, was... bit of a bit of a twat of a manager. Yeah, uh, and it's good to see David Beckham inflicting pain in him. And then in the celebration, Andy Cole runs up to him and goes, you want to enjoy this, right? Because in two years, he's absolutely going to hang you out to dry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, twice, twice. First, he he refused to play him in the opening game in the 1998 World Cup and said he wasn't very focused, kind of thing that is an absolute no-no, even then, and definitely now, because it's going to get magnified. Um, And then doesn't support him at all when Bex gets sent off. Anyway, always been a git hoddle. There's a a hell of a moment where uh, Hoddle brings Gavin Peacock on as a substitute, and there's just a two-shot of the two of them. I'm like, oh, these boys between them are going to say some stuff. There's going to be there's going to be some stuff masquerading as religious wisdom that is actually just weird bigotry coming out of these two. Peacock's the one who became a priest. Oh yeah, of, of a very particular nature, of a very very specific. Yeah. I've, I've never really forgiven him for scoring those two goals during the uh, ninety four season, ninety three ninety four season. Yeah, his only defeats in the league, wasn't it? So I do remember those as well. I, f- I have a feeling I was at the game, the uh, the game at Old Trafford. Anyway, Peacock doesn't do anything this game. Uh, Hullet nearly does, though. He's through and Schmeichel has to block one-on-one. Not for the first time this game. I think he's he's, he's up to two, which is probably standard for Schmeichel. You forget yes. how high Ferguson's back fours defended. That's why well, Schmeichel they- has to do so many blocks one-on-one because Fergie, one, he's wanting his defenders to defend one-on-one and then he pushes them really, really high up the pitch. But, I mean, I wonder if that's just because he had Schmeichel because he, he knows... I mean, Schmeichel's whatever metric you want to use, his XG saved must have been... His XG saved in one-on-ones must have been absolutely astronomic. Post-shot XG saved 
in one-on-ones must have been real, real high. Very um, specific stat there, but yes, I'm guessing it yeah. was. <laughs> and then, um, and then uh, talking of XG, uh, Cantona is saving a lot of post-shot XG by, for some reason, being on the post. This is why we all think of him as a superhero, right? Because it was like having a team that had a superhero in it. This is the season, this is the month where Eric Cantona has scored the winner or the equalising goal in all four of United's league games. Like, he's created the equaliser here and he keeps us in the game. It's all in the space of March 96, the greatest month of any sports person on record. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, so Schmeichel blocks a shot and then Spencer um, follows up and, and uh, Cantona, what, what is he doing back there anyway? Doesn't make any he's sense. Just- I tell you why it was. Andy Cole went up to him and he went in about 30 seconds. We need you on the post because otherwise they're going to score. Um, anyway, yeah, other than time traveling, I can't think of a good explanation, but I love, I mean, I, this is just unrelenting hero worship at this point, but I particularly love the coolness with which he heads out. It's like, oh yeah, that's fine. I'm here. No problem. This is not going in because I will just coolly head it out. No, no problem. He uh, he heads it out and he gives it a Gallic shrug and then orders a gitan and has a bit of a smoke. <laughs> just make sure his collar's up. That collar as well, that collar was definitely designed because it's got the black underneath, doesn't it? And it's there's no reason to have that black underneath unless your most iconic player is going to spend the whole season with his collar up, in which case having a little feature is not, not a bad look. Should have had a... They, I mean... If it had been Ed Woodward in charge at that time, they'd have had an advert under the collar. Yeah, they would. Um, Cantona, brought to you by Mr Potato Chips. <laughs> uh, Chelsea have a little bit of pressure around the 70th minute on, but United defend well, really. They're fine. They, they block some shots. Any any other major stuff? Oh, there's a brilliant save from a Cantona header and then a and then Chelsea clear one off the line for a... For an Andy Cole tapping attempt. Yeah, and then there's a Cole one-on-one through right at the end of the game. Good save by Hitchcock. I was convinced, as I was saying just uh, pre-recording this, I was convinced that United had won this semi-final 4-1, so I didn't do my research on the game before I watched it. I was like, they're leaving this late. I I don't remember there being so many late goals, but no. Do you think you'd got it conflated with the FA Cup final from two seasons earlier, the 4-0 maybe? Perhaps, perhaps. But anyway, it should have been 4-1 or 5-1 or whatever. This was a thoroughly dominant performance by United in this semi-final. But it kind of like, you know, when we watched the 7-1 and in the end actually watching the 7-1 was not particularly interesting really beyond the kind of intellectual exercise and seeing the goals. But this was dominant without not being a game because between Hughes and Hullet in particular... Chelsea had enough talent to constantly pose a threat. Not not constantly as in pressure constantly, but there was always the chance that they could do something. It, they were never out of the game and they had just enough uh, pressure and attacks and stuff that that there was there was some sort of like back and forth and it was it was kind of fun mm. in that sense. And so yeah, they go on to win the final and the league and uh, it's a double double. The original double double, um, but and just the genesis of of what would become the the European Cup winning side. Obviously, we see all the class of ninety two feature in this game, except for Skulls. Um And then in the summer, he buys Jonsson, who would obviously go on to form the partnership with Stam, Poborski, Solskjaer, Cruyff, and Sheringham. 
um, who for different reasons all played a, a key part over the next few seasons. Um, and the following season, United are in the Champions League. And it's one of the most, I have to say, the way they go out to Borussia Dortmund in that semi-final, just one of the worst, most sickening. <laughs> because they'd lost the they lost the away leg first, hadn't they, with Raymond van der Howe in goal. I guess that was the the five foreigners limit that yeah. brought him into it. And then absolutely battered Dortmund at home, but couldn't find the goal. I think it was an injury because there's no difference in number of foreigners if Raymond van der Howe's the keeper. No, Cause true. Because he's, he's foreign. Yes. Because of, of what Howie is foreign. No, no, I'm getting myself mixed up with Pilkington. He played a lot, didn't he, when that, um, yeah. that role was in place. Anyway, so, yeah, just kind of nice snapshot into the, the 96 team, which is a very fine team, but mature into being the, the finest on the planet. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think talking of being the finest on the planet, how about we watch the 1968 European Cup final next? Uh, we haven't we haven't done that yet, and it, it seems like we are definitely going to get to it at some point, and we'll do that. And it, we haven't done a European game for a little while, I think. Um, All so right, be, be, be fun to do prop, that. And, prop old school football, yeah, but old school football that is filmed in high enough quality to enjoy it, which is kind of key, I think. Um, I haven't seen this since I last watched your VHS copy of it, um, which would have probably been in the early 1990s, I reckon. So yes, I'm sure it's uh, very. Uh, I'm sure it's easy to source a decent copy of this out there for everyone who wants to join in um, yeah, with absolutely. the uh, the full 120 minutes of this. Yeah, but before we go, um, I've actually we've actually got a um, a, a brief interview now. Um, some guys reached out to me uh, who are from an organisation called Flair Football, uh, a social enterprise, well, a business based around um, a uh, a networking app for uh, kids' football, basically. And um, it was going really well, doing some real good stuff. And now they're in real big trouble uh, for understandable reasons. So um, they reached out. Um, one of the guys, knees is a, a long-time listener of the show. Um, and so I thought, well, the best thing we can do is give him a platform to 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 say what's been happening. So uh, uh, we were joined by Daryl and Nee from Flair Football. Um, so as I said, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Daryl and Nee from Flair Football. Um, guys, if I, I'll start with Nee first. You, you reached out the show. Um, I understand that you're a, a Manchester United fan of, of long standing. Is, is this correct? Before we before we go yeah. any further, we need to establish this for the record. <laughs> yeah, big, big fan and big fan of the show. So it's an absolute pleasure joining you today. Awesome. I'm, I'm delighted to have you. And Daryl, um, I, I have not, we haven't checked this out, but you've got like, <laughs> been, say your family, you're related. It's all right. <laughs> like, yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, what what team is where 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 do your loyalties lie? I have to be honest, I'm a Liverpool fan. To get him out <laughs> of here. Be honest. <laughs> <laughs> this was not we were not informed of this. <laughs> um, uh, obviously, um, as Neil will have heard me saying a number of times, I'm a firm believer that there are many things that trump tribalism in football. Uh, so we're more than happy to have you on the show to tell the story of Flair and what's going on. So, um, gentlemen, whichever one of you wants to jump in and and tell the people what Flair football is and and what's been going on. Yeah, so I guess I'll start. So, as you mentioned, we're family. So Darren and I are cousins, um, and 
we kind of just were inspired to build flair by the fact that we look back on our own football career, if you want to call it that, playing Sunday league football. And we noticed that we had literally no digital record of what we'd done. Uh, so, so we wanted to essentially build something that allows people who are young, who play, who care a lot about the game, um, to have a platform where they can essentially share their matches um, on, on like a social media platform. And the idea kind of came in early 2017, and we've been working on it full time since. Daryl? Yeah, so it's a mobile app for kids who play football. So it works like a typical social. You've got your own player profile where each player has their own transfer value. And you can basically praise your teammates and friends after matches. And over time, you can track how you're performing as a player. So to basically using it as a way of seeing them, themselves get better in the game. You can track your match stats from games. You can post match reports after your matches. And you can also kind of follow the seasons of your friends and and people in your league as well to kind of tabs on your opponents as well. So, so that's the basic. So what have the kids been getting out of that? What have they, because I, I read some of the testimonials, it seems like this has meant quite a lot to some of the people that are using it. Mm. Yeah, I guess like one of the biggest things has just been the sense of community that we've built. Uh, so on Flair, kind of, it's for everyone. It's for all levels of ability, boys and girls. And a lot of players have just been kind of like getting to know other players, being inspired by their journeys as well. Um, so, yeah, we're just trying to build something that's very, very positive, helps the kids with their confidence. So as Daryl mentioned, the praise feature lets your teammates tell you things that you've done well in the game. And a lot of the kids have mentioned how that's built up their confidence as players. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really, really just like a, a positive community that, that we've built. And and what kind of uh, size of community have you got to? If you started in 2017, that's not very long ago in terms of these things and how they grow. Um, what's what's yeah. your what's your been the kind of number of people that have got involved? Yeah, so we actually launched on the App Store in September 2018. Um, so the first kind of year and a bit was just about building it and getting the team in place. Um, yeah. And since then, like with no marketing, we've grown it to over 20, almost 25,000 registered players on Flare now, um, all in the UK and Ireland. Um, that's, that's pretty extraordinary. And, and so like, um, I'm just, just, I'm just curious about this. What's the kind of business model for you guys under normal circumstances? How does, how do you make that? Like, cause obviously things have gone completely crazy and we'll talk about that in a second, but, um, what's what's the kind of normal operating procedure is it is it something that teams subscribe to or yeah um it's it's been completely free so we we funded it from investment um so we've raised two investment rounds we've managed to kind of get like um a load of people who really believe in us investing in the company um with the view that at some point we will commercialize it uh, so we're looking to kind of build a platform, essentially, that connects the players to other people in the football in the football industry, whether it be pro clubs, leagues, coaches, and we imagine that it will be it will be the other people that pay, not the not the players themselves. Um, but obviously, with the current climate, investment has just become so so tricky to 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 get. Mm. 
Now, I'm going to ask a slightly difficult question here, but I think it's a question that you kind of have to ask in these circumstances, which is um, there's such a broad, there's just such a sudden broad spectrum of need in the world, you know, suddenly there's like this kind of global short form in in lots of different areas. And I, I think there's a tendency, and honestly, like obviously not exactly a wrong tendency to prioritize certain things at times like this. Um, what do you see as the kind of uh, the value of keeping something like this going when people's kind of pockets are so spread, obviously? Yeah, so I think huge thing is just right now people need connection more than ever. Yeah. And especially kids, they had their lives torn apart where they're in the middle of their football seasons and all of a sudden they can't play anymore and they can't see their friends. And obviously there's a lot of struggle going on in the world right now, but for those kids, they're feeling very isolated from their friends and they're feeling really, really bored. And what Flair does is we provide a community where they can actually come together. So we give them a chance in times like this to still celebrate their passion for football, to still connect with their teammates, connect with their friends. And I think that's really important for their mental health because one of the big things in this crisis that people won't be able to see straight away is the effect on the mental health of society. And products like ours are going to help people through this and help people feel happy and smile again. So I think now more than ever, we're really, really important. That's, yeah. that's lovely. Um, and and Daryl, do you want to speak a bit about some of the stuff that we built into the app since? That yeah. was literally yeah. my next question. <laughs> that's amazing. I don't need to be here. <laughs> Mind reader. Yeah, so we obviously realised that we built a feature set that is all surrounded around games. So the match report, praising teammates after matches, posting about your games and the goals you've scored and everything else. And obviously that's kind of changed now. So what we've done is we've thought, how do we help kids to deal with their boredom? And one thing we've done on our Instagram in previous years is football challenges that have worked really well. So things like crossbar challenges, kick-up challenges, freestyle challenges. And we're basically taking all that content from our Instagram and putting it onto the app. And so far the kids have been engaging with it really, really well. So that's one of the things. And then the other thing is we've made a game section that we've put right in the middle of the app. And it's got different football-related like brain teaser games that the kids can try out. So again, that has got really good engagement where we're seeing kids day after day come back, try and get the correct answer, then come back the next day to try the next questions. And obviously, it's the type of thing where they themselves are bored. So it's also quite a good opportunity for us to actually engage them. Yeah. Okay. So um, you're building this thing is creating a sense of community. You've got 25,000 users with no marketing, which like that is a substantial achievement in, in a, in an incredibly crowded world, especially like building a kind of alternative, like primarily social platform, albeit one with a very specific, area that's that's quite some achievement you guys riding a crest of a wave and then suddenly there's no football anymore i mean we've talked so much on the podcast about um i mean uh ed ed who's who's not here for technical reasons because we can only really get one person at a time doing uh chats with guests the um ed has said that football really has its head buried in the sand 
to a huge extent and has kind of acted very much like it's in denial about the scale of what's happened here. And I think you guys are an excellent example of Mm. how this is not about whether, sorry, Daryl, but like this is not about whether Liverpool win the Premier League this season or not. That's, That's obviously incredibly important in a... As as the old quote goes, it's like football is the is the most important thing that's not important at all when it comes to trophies and who wins and who loses. But how children spend their time, this is something that actually is genuinely important. Um, and that's that's kind of the, the impact on grassroots football is going to be like you mentioned the mental health issue. That's these are this is something that's going to have a hugely long tail so, so how have you guys responded from a from a practical perspective to try and get yourselves through this period? Yeah, so I guess one of the the big things for us is that we needed funding and we kind of needed to, to get it quick because we are quite low on our cash balance um, heading into the crisis. Uh, so we decided to essentially launch a GoFundMe um, with the aim of raising as much as we could um, over next month or so. Uh, so far, we've raised over 25,000 in donations just from our community and other supporters who just believe that what we're doing is is really, really important for, for the kids as well as for youth football in general. Um, and yeah, we're just right now trying to essentially get as, as many donations as we can um, to support the business until the market kind of stabilizes a bit more and then we'll go back and try get investors again. Well, I wish you guys all the luck in the world with that. Where can people uh, get involved if they want to? Yeah. So I guess if you just type in um, on Google flair, F A I R football, go fund me. Um, it'd probably be the first thing that comes up um, on our Instagram, which is flair.football. It's the link in our bio as well. Um, and yeah i think those are the two main places brilliant well thanks for talking to us today um is there anything else you guys wanted to say before before we wrap this up have we have we covered the bases yeah well i guess i just hope the season gets voided so that i can that would be the worst man that would be the worst <laughs> Uh, it feels, feels like 30 years is a is a long time to wait to have the season voided. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wasn't even born the last time I won the league. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, take care, guys, and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Cheers. So, thanks to Daryl. Thanks to Nee. Um, if you want to get involved, there we'll put a link to their GoFundMe in the show notes and um, share that on the socials. Uh, and yeah all right so um we were going to do some bonus content tonight because we normally would do it on this show but we're going to delay that until thursday for reasons of logistics Um so patreon backers will get double lot of bonus content on friday show and the next monday show um and we'll be back with the european cup final 120 minutes that's I forgot it had extra time when I was boldly saying, let's do this. It's like, oh, God, I've got to fit in another half an hour of watching football <laughs> into the week. <laughs> oh, oh, what are you going to do with your time? You'll you'll have to delay <laughs> a couple of binge sessions on whatever you're watching on what, Netflix what, right now. What are you watching on Netflix right now before no, we I go? I mean, honestly, my watching habits are no different than um, pre-lockdown. It's not like I actually have any more time. I still work. So, yeah. 
course. So, um, uh, I am watching Run on HBO. Have you seen that yet? No, I don't even know what it is. It's um, it is executive produced by Phoebe Waller Bridge, and she is in it. Okay, so oh. it's a sort of um, dry comedy, I'd say. Right. Oh well, I'll check that out. I liked Fleabag. I yeah. thought Fleabag was a work of staggering genius. Actually, to be honest, I know people have different opinions about it, but I thought it was exceptional. Um, I am working my way through Parks and Recreation again for like the fourth time on Amazon Prime. It's nice that it's there. And then for some reason, I think I've said this on bonus content, for some reason I'm watching The Mandalorian week by week. Um, and I just watched this week's episode today. That show is great. I can't believe how good it is. Like, I mean, I, within the context of an adv- an action adventure show, it's not going to change your life in any way. No, but, it's good uh, entertainment though. So yeah, thoroughly entertaining. Yeah. yeah. All right. I, I can wait. So I watched it when... Uh... When it was originally out, <laughs> stateside. Yeah. But Fair uh, yeah, yeah. I enjoy watching that week by week. I've also been running again because I had injury uh, for ages. Um, I've been out running again, which has been really nice. Um, feels feels good to be able to do that. Um, and I definitely feel for people who are in the places where they're not they're not really even allowed out for exercise, and that's it's got to be real tough. So if you're in that spot, or really if you're struggling in any way. Just we're here for you. The one one thing that I should mention as well, like this is something I've I mentioned on the show a couple of times, but I I'm a therapist by trade and I work remotely via Skype. So if you are looking for a therapist, I have available slots at the moment. The reason I'm mentioning it is not really to plug it because, frankly, I I'm not short of work. But um, a number of times, like people have taken advantage of that and they've been kind of grateful that I mentioned it on the show. So. Because um, they were looking for someone, didn't really feel like reaching out to someone that they felt like a complete stranger. Um, so yeah, uh, my email address is uh, well, we'll just go with uh, is it nqatpod.com, Ed? The yeah, the, the yeah. So Paul at nqatpod.com if you want to get in touch. All right, thanks for listening, everyone, um, and we'll call that a show, shall we? All right, have a good one, everyone. Stay safe. 